0: All right. Uh, he's on the line now. It's Pat, Pat Steinberg. He's the host of the big show on Sportsnet 960. Uh, we're the interlopers in this case. Uh, we are making our Calgary debut here. Uh, we've been on the air in Vancouver for a few months now, but, but Pat's the guy that you know if you're out in Calgary. So I, I, let's start with this, Pat. What, what are we getting ourselves into doing a, you know, a, a two-market show, doing a Vancouver and Calgary show, especially heading into a season where it looks like we're going to have an all-Canadian division?
1: Yeah, uh ten matchups with Calgary and Vancouver. Just just don't uh just don't uh don't spend too much time uh professing your love for the uh the team in Vancouver. You guys should be good. Uh but I I I, I think that I think that you're in a market that uh, appreciates good hockey talk. So welcome gentlemen. Welcome uh welcome to the radio station.
2: Appreciate it, Pat. Uh before we get into the serious stuff, I think one of the things we'll get out of the way early was just the reverse retro jerseys that came out earlier this week. <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I'm curious cause for as an outsider, uh, you know, I'm living in Calgary, but I didn't grow up with the flames. What was the reception to the return of Blasty? Because as, as an outsider, I, I quite like the, the uniform that Calgary put forth in this case.
1: Well, it's a polarizing one. So that jersey, so I'll I'll take you on a little bit of a trip for those who don't know. So that jersey came out in Calgary in 1998. It came out in a span of time where the Flames were a really, really bad hockey team. Some of their worst years ever came between 1996 and 2004 when they missed the playoffs for seven straight years, they were not very really good. They, uh, they had very few bright spots. There was Jerome McGinley. There was Darren Flurry near the end of his time in Calgary, but there wasn't a whole lot good that was going on. So that jersey came out and immediately it was either loved or hated when it first came out. And I think the reason why it was so polarizing then was it was so different than anything we've ever seen from a Flames jersey before. It's always been some incarnation of the flaming sea on the front. Now here's this black jersey with a flaming horse head on it. You're like, what is going on? So it was polarizing to begin with, but then the team was bad for a good chunk of that jersey's life, and it got scrapped the year after the lockout, the year after they, or two years after they went to the Stanley Cup final. And then ever since, it's kind of been an alternate logo, that flaming horse head, but it's kind of just been forgotten. And over the last five or six years, there's been, people clamoring for it to come back as there's been more and more of a proliferation of third jerseys. And so over the last the last year or two there's been this really huge groundswell of bring this thing back. So when it when it was first rumored that it was coming back, it was polarizing once again. But I think that there was a good chunk of the people that hated it before kinda of came around to it being a cool little nostalgic thing. So I would say I would say that the response has been for the most part, positive. Like I would say, 75% positive. And the people who really love it, really love it. And then there's that 25% of people who I don't think can be forgotten. They really don't like it. There's a lot of people who are like, it represents an awful time. It was a gimmicky jersey then, and it's still a gimmicky logo now. But I love it. I think it looks great. It's uh, nostalgic for me. That's the first jersey that I ever purchased. Was the original one back in the late 1990s. So I think it looks it looks good. They've modernized it a little bit, and I like the way that different teams went about doing their reverse retro. Like I, like on the other side of of this show in Vancouver. Like I love the fact that they use the current colors. But that gradient scheme from the old jerseys and kind of meshed them together. I think it looks really good. And and Calbee didn't go kind of the same way. They just decided to revamp an old classic. But I think it looks good. And everybody that I've spoken to at the Flames says they have had overwhelming response from a sales perspective since the pre sale started earlier this month. So I think for the most part, the response has been good, but there's definitely and will always be a faction of people who do not like that Jersey and who do not like that logo, but I am not one of those people. I love it. I think it looks great.
2: My memory of that Jersey is the Jerome McGinley, I think of the 50th goal against Chicago yep. down the wing. And that, that was my strongest memory of that Jersey. So, well, um, and they, they
1: brought it in originally as a third Jersey and they switched it to being their everyday Jersey, but yeah, he scored that goal with that Jersey on against Jocelyn Tebow when he scored his 50th goal for the first time. It's a good
2: memory. Izzy and I were just chatting before you came on. Uh, I know you have uh, Elliot Friedman on every Monday, so you'll probably have a lot to talk about with Elliot this week because Elliot broke the news, I think, late Tuesday night and then into Wednesday, and it's been a bit of an evolving story about the NHL and the owners going back to the players and looking to recoup somewhere in the neighborhood of $300 million and coming up with some creative solutions on how to do that um just your reaction and what do you think the players are thinking at this point just three or four months after they you know signed what they thought was an ironclad uh cba
1: yeah we've talked a lot about it this week and it's one of those it's one of those things where a lot of times when you're talking about labor negotiations and and money that we really can't fathom you're kind of like, it's, it's hard to relate to either side. But this is, this is one of those cases where I kind of understand where both sides are coming from. Like, you're right. If you're the players, you just signed something in July and you negotiated something in really good faith. And you're like, okay, this is a new collective bargaining agreement. It avoids a lockout or a strike down the road. And we got this done. And then four months later, here are the owners coming back to you saying, actually, we want to change it and we need you to, uh, we need, we need you to take some more concessions. And so if, if I'm a player, especially if I'm uh, in, in part of the NHLPA leadership as a player, I'm saying, well, what is this? How, how are you proposing us take more hits four months after we established this CBA, but then on the other side, what, what I think, I don't think it's getting forgotten, but the the one thing that I, I balance the conversation with is that, geez, this pandemic has hurt NHL ownership and the NHL business model, maybe even more so than the league thought it was going to when it first ratified this CBA in, in July. Like, I don't, they, they went into the return to play hoping they would recoup X amount of money and, and maybe they didn't get the television ratings and the type of money back they were hoping they would in that return to play. I don't think that it was uh, a dire difference, but I don't think that it was as much of a financial boon or a recouping as they were hoping. And now you're looking at it and saying, well – We might not have fans in the majority of buildings until the postseason of this coming season, or maybe not even then. Maybe we're talking about not until the fall of 21 for owners to start getting butts back in seats. And so you're saying to yourself, well, we we projected this and, and maybe it's going to be this and the millions of dollars that we're now projected to lose, we didn't even write this in to the original CBA. So I think, and I think what is the good news is that when Elliot joined our morning show on Sportsnet 960 on Friday, he said that since Wednesday and since the story really broke, it feels like the rhetoric is toned down, and both the owners and the players have kind of gone back and said, okay we know that the most important thing is playing hockey this season. We know we need to get a season. It doesn't hurt, it doesn't help anybody if there's no season. So it feels like as, as miffed as the players might be, or as frustrated as the owners might be, there's still a real desire to figure something out that works for both sides so they can play, so they can have this bridge season. So yeah, I, I, I get it from both sides and, Everything that you're hearing right now, guys, is that as, as much as there's a little bit of a, a bump in the road or a hurdle here, it, it seems like there is a concerted desire on both sides to make sure they figure something out. So I, I'm not worried about us not playing. I, I think that we're going to figure it out. It just might take another week or two to figure out all the finer points here. So
0: I'll ask you, Pat, what I asked Alex to open this segment. Uh, the NHL is still staying really strong on Jan 1. I mean, that's they've been uh they've been going back to the bubble situation not exactly uh open to you know putting hard dates on stuff like that and and and, mm-hmm. and they don't want to change a lot of scenarios so for them publicly it's jan one i mean you go back a month it seemed like february was going to be the play now we're seeing you know maybe jan one is still possible if they can figure this out in the next seven or ten days uh maybe mid-january is more realistic where are you at with where where we might actually get a season to get started
1: I, I'm one of those, and i I don't know how uh, how how large this faction is that would be where I'm sitting but i I still think January first is realistic. I think that they can i, I like I believe that they have got all of the things that they would need in place to start a season on January first, and that I think they've got a schedule finalized or multiple different schedules finalized. I, I believe that behind closed doors they have figured out some of the travel, they figured out the, some of the different protocols and procedures to make sure that they can get this done and, and mitigate some of the risks that go along with playing a season with travel in in the midst of a worldwide pandemic. So I, I think that they I think they've got all of that stuff uh figured out or pretty close to figured out behind closed doors and now what needs to be determined is is this stuff that we just talked about the agreement from a financial standpoint between the players and the owners so i i still think january 1st is feasible but yeah you need to allow enough time for pen to be put to paper on any changes to the cba so that players can get to their cities and quarantine and isolate and then be ready to start training camps and mid-December like we're we're hearing December 15th for training camps which would mean you've got to start getting to your cities in early December and here we are on November 21st so that that gives us like yeah about a week a little bit little bit more than a week maybe for them to make headway and figure out what this agreement is going to be so I still think January 1st is realistic I, I absolutely believe that Gary Bettman is is pushing hard for this behind the scenes. And and part of the reason why is that I think that it's twofold. I think the fact that they want to have as much of a buffer at the end of their proposed 60-game schedule to maybe make up games that had to be rescheduled, I think that's important. Uh, And so starting as early as you possibly can gives you that buffer at the end of the season. And if you don't need it, then you can start the playoffs a little earlier. And then number two, I, I really think the NBA starting December 22nd if, if they're able to get that done, I think that plays a part in it too. Like I, I really believe that if the NHL wants to, uh, if, if the NHL wants to get the most out of their restart, starting a month after the NBA is not necessarily conducive to that. If they can start within eight or nine days of the NBA and kind of be part of a wave of excitement of sports coming back, that's good for them. If, if they give the NBA a month of kind of, um, unchallenged eyeballs I don't know if that helps them so I think there's a couple of things that lead to Gary Bettman pushing for it I understand that January 1st might not happen it might be Jan 15 but I I'm one of the one of the people that believe January 1st is still very much realistic and uh, I'm I'm crossing my fingers that's what they end up doing I think it would be a good way to kick off the year but I, I fully understand there might be some hurdles that might push it back into the middle of January but I can't really see it being much later than January fifteenth, myself. Where are you guys? Are you guys more on the the mid-January side of things?
2: Yeah, we were talking just before on air, and I know it's been touched on a little bit, but the what do you do with Christmas and families, and mm-hmm. you know the players are typically allowed to, you know, they get that Christmas break, and I know it's been raised as far as will they be in kind of lockdown uh, before if for a January first date, and I just wonder if that pushes it back to you know, Jan 7th or Jan 15th, you know, that kind of thing. But, um, I do think they play in January. I think the players are sitting around with, you know, this is the time of year that they're used to playing hockey. And as you mentioned, it's very clear that I think Gary Bettman wants to get them back on the ice.
1: And it's, it might be, it might be a scenario where they do have to wait until after Christmas and maybe a, a training camp starts December 27th and we're starting January 8th or January 9th. I mean, that could, that could very well be the case. And, and, um, that, that Christmas hurdle might be enough to push it back. I, I just, I, I feel like there's enough momentum and I feel like there's enough being said about the desire to get some sort of uh, agreement um, ratified and figured out. I, I feel like whether it's January 1st or January 15th, like we're within six, seven weeks of having meaningful hockey back, which, which is pretty exciting.
2: He's the host of the big show on Sportsnet 960 in Calgary. He's Pat Steinberg, joining us on air with Israel Fair and Alex Blair. While we don't know when they will start, it's what we are learning is that it looks like it's going to be a 60-game schedule, and we are moving closer to the all-Canadian division. Uh, there's been a lot of movement this offseason, uh, specifically between the Calgary Flames and the Vancouver Canucks, when you look at the reallocation of the divisions and the fact that both Calgary and Vancouver will be competing against Edmonton, Toronto, Montreal, Winnipeg and Ottawa what uh, give us a prognosis of you know who sits better in that case the Canucks or the Flames
1: well it's like when you when you think of the potential of an all Canadian division and now what's seeming more and more like the reality of of that division. Like when you think about it, there's really not much separating the the six of the seven teams anyway, that would be playing. I think at least for me, as much as I think Ottawa has taken some steps forward this off season, Mm I still think they'd be the seven team and and kind of the easiest mark of the group, but with Montreal and the improvements they've made and Toronto and the steps that they continue to take and Calgary and Vancouver and Winnipeg and Edmonton, like I, I think you're talking about very little separating six of those seven teams. And I, I would be fascinated to see how close the hockey would be and how tight the division would be at the end of the year. And I guess, I guess there's kind of, there's two camps when it comes to Flames fans. There's a a camp that says they have gotten better and the addition of Jacob Markstrom specifically and bringing him into the fold and solidifying their goaltending position for the first time in almost a decade makes them a better team and makes them better than they were after losing in game six to Dallas in August and then there's another faction that says well did you was was that your most pressing need did you need to go and spend that type of money on a goalie and then also see a player like tj brody walk and not be able to go out and and revamp your forwards so and there's a there's a faction that says the team isn't as good as they were last year i happen to believe that uh we're talking about a flames team that that is better i think having a goaltender that can play two-thirds of your games and play them well and play at a high level and not have to worry about which goaltender you're going to start that, to me, is a step forward that this Flames team hasn't been able to take in, in a long, long time. So I, I think that they are positioned slightly better this year than they were the year before. Not, not a massive step forward. I don't think they turn from being a playoff team into a Stanley Cup contender. But I think that they're slightly better. And, and I'm not sure. I, like, Vancouver, to me, is really interesting because they, they lose Markstrom, and they go out, and, and they bring in Holtby and, and if Demko takes a step from a consistency standpoint and we see him be a better version of himself than we saw when Markstrom was hurt in the regular season last year, then I think yep. that, I think that tandem of, of Demko and Holtby can be, can be pretty solid. And with, with who, like, I, I, I know the tandem losses is, is, Uh, is is going to be felt and maybe they're not as deep on the blue line, but I don't think that I see Vancouver taking a massive step back from where they were last year. I think at the very least they can be the same competitive playoff bubble team that they were uh, in the regular season. And then we saw what happened in the series against Vegas. So I, I, I think that we're talking about two teams that are very, very closely matched. And again, I don't see, I don't see much separating six of the seven teams in this division. So, I think ten games between Calgary and Vancouver could be really, really fun. I think all the Canucks that have made their way to Calgary this off season makes for <laughs> an interesting rivalry. Like, yeah, I, I, I think this could be the the best Calgary-Vancouver we've seen since. They met in the playoffs in 2015, and I, I'm looking forward to it. It's kind of a, do we want to be having to have an all-Canadian division because of the pandemic? Maybe not, but knowing the rivalry that already exists between Calgary and Edmonton and now all of this storyline stuff between the Canucks and Flames this offseason, I'm, I'm pretty jacked. I, I think it'll be fun.
0: Yeah, I mean, you throw in Edmonton and Winnipeg into that mix as well. It's I'm 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 really excited for that. We got a, a you know a bunch of games to get some of those rivalries prepped and going. And last year, I mean, Battle of Alberta speaks for itself. And as you said, you know, those Canucks jumping the jumping ship and joining Calgary is going to make for a lot of fun. Uh, we spent a lot of time talking about the NHL and its season and its possible schedule. Uh, the CFL this week uh, has announced the schedule for next season what what were your big takeaways of, of where the CFL is at and how important was this kind of announcement for them
1: well i thought it was i thought it was important because uh, you have the CFLPA coming out a couple days prior saying we want a commitment from the league that they're going to play next year and maybe maybe they didn't come out and say we will play no questions asked next year, but you send out an 18 game schedule and you map things out like that. I I think it's a pretty big step forward. And there's been a lot of, there's been a lot of criticism on the CFL this off season. And I guess this extended off season or no season. Um, And, and I understand part of it. Like I thought, I thought the CFL shot themselves in the foot a little bit when they seemed a little unprepared going in front of uh, the government committee and looking for funding. And and I think that not playing a season is is something that doesn't look good when you have a lot of other leagues that were able to figure it out, not even just the NHL and the NBA. Like we're talking about the CPL and major league soccer, they were able to get their seasons done or, or restarted and do something. And the CFL wasn't, but, since that point, I mean, the fact that they hadn't announced the schedule prior, it's I like, well, why are you criticizing them? They don't start until June. Let them figure out and get their ducks in a row. And They did their uh, their virtual Grey Cup the, week this week, and as part of it, announced the schedule. So I, I thought it was significant. I thought it was a big step forward. There's still a lot of steps they need to take. But, I mean, you think about it. If, if everything goes according to the plan that we hope it's going to, in in this country and on this continent that by the time they get training camp started and by the time they kick off their first regular season game we're kind of hoping that we're going to be in a much better spot in the world and that maybe we're starting to get out of this thing and, and return to normal and and be in a really good momentum spot so i i thought it was significant the fact that they announced a full 18 game schedule was significant and I, I'm, I'm hoping that we see the CFL back and better than ever next year because I'm, kind of I'm kind of a CFL nerd, so not having it this year has been, has been very strange. So it's, it was, I thought it was big. I don't know if you're ever going to please the people that criticize the league and, and are always on them, but from, from my standpoint, announcing a schedule was important, and now they have a number of other steps to, to take before they can actually – get this thing going, but I'm feeling pretty confident they're going to play next year.
0: Yeah, well, we, we hope to see it. Uh, Pat, thanks for taking the time. Uh, appreciate the welcome to the Calgary market, and hopefully we do this again soon.
1: That was good, guys. Welcome to Calgary.